Hi all, Jay Stansel here from Product Coalition. Today is a new phase for the Product Coalition. We're trying something new and what we're trying to do is really get to know the people behind products and illustrate the passion and emotion founders, leaders and key employees of great products have for their products. This is the first of hopefully many interviews with product people from around the world. We've had great interest from all different continents of people who want to be interviewed but also want to help out with interviewing product people in their local city as well, which is fantastic. If you do want to be a product person who's interviewed, please reach out um, to myself, uh, it's Jay Stansel. Uh, you'll find me on Medium as the editor of the Product Coalition. Um, shoot me an email, jay at productcoalition.com. Today though, um, we're speaking to Lee and Ricky from upspot.io. They're from a startup in Sydney. Obviously, I'm in Melbourne, so there's a synergy here of um, two Australian groups of people helping each other out. So I'm going to cross over now to Ricky and Lee. And firstly, guys, if you want to introduce yourselves and um, tell the people a little bit about yourselves first and then um, introduce uh, Upspot.io. Sure. Is the camera on? That's so it's on to you. Yep, yep. Okay. okay, great. Thanks for having us, Jay. Yeah, thanks for, thanks okay. for the invitation. Okay. And I'll start with myself. So I'm Ricky. Uh, I'm a ex-IT consultant and a full-stack developer. So I used to work at Deloitte uh, for a number of years and recently worked, started working on Upspot full-time as of currently the mid this year. And that's basically how we met. Uh, at the start, so both Lee and I both worked at Deloitte. At one point in time, Lee was my boss, so which makes makes things quite interesting now being co-founders. But then I think Lee can tell you about, a bit about his background as well. I was actually thinking whether I should say that, but it's uh, <laughs> good that you said it. So yes, my name's Lee. Nice to meet you all. Um, so my background is, as Ricky mentioned, I used to work at Deloitte. Uh, my primary specialization was information management and data. Um, and the last decade or so, I've been you know, technology consultant, uh, technology consultant up to this point where you know we started on this venture. And yeah, see so how we go. And I guess a bit about Upspot. So you want to just run through what Upspot is? Yep. So Upspot is a vetted marketplace connecting IT professionals to opportunities and connecting IT professionals directly to teams within companies. So looking looking at the uh, larger and the wider, I guess, economic trend of relying on the agile workforce. And large companies focusing really more on hiring on-demand talent for um, short periods of time to tie to tie their hiring to specific business outcomes to meet changing and immediate business needs. Um, and we're taking we're kind of riding that 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 trend and saying let's build a platform, marketplace, vetted marketplace to connect IT professionals in the enterprise space. So you're looking at project managers, business analysts, developers, enterprise systems specialists, and connecting them directly to hiring managers, technical managers, team leads, executives, and people responsible for uh, engaging talent and building teams. So kind of the, the nutshell is that we're trying to give companies the ability to tap into the kind of agile workforce. And to become an agile workforce, you kind of need, there's no kind of platform out there that allows this right now or enables companies to do that. And that's where the kind of idea from Upspot started. 
Brilliant, brilliant. And um, how long ago was was this idea? Can you tell us a little bit about the history of um, obviously your relationship coming together, working together, makes sense. Yeah. But at what point did the did the did you have that light bulb moment um, around this idea? I think it was like many many light bulb moments, but they're all not like light bulbs in the end. You realize, yeah. and we started down like the startup path. Maybe like eighteen months ago. First, it was learning a lot, so yeah. we weren't we were still at work, working full time, uh, and we're learning a lot about the startup methodology, what, how to actually create a business from from scratch, what are the things, what are the pitfalls to avoid, and uh, really trying trying to not you know take a leap of faith with no knowledge. Uh, and then when it comes to this concept, we initially discovered it whilst working. So it was kind of a pain that we we encountered both. So both Lee and I have have hired people, um, built teams, built teams uh, at our organisations at Deloitte. Lee's worked at a few other organisations like the RBA. So he's built a lot of you know a lot more teams than I have. Uh, and we always encounter, encounter the same problem. Uh, and we initially. So it wasn't there wasn't like an upspot moment where it was like this is the sole idea that's going to work. It always starts from a different idea, and it's kind of like a seed idea that I would kind of refer to, and then that kind of grows into what we're working on now. So and it and we'll get to like how you, you test and validate ideas and concepts, but it always starts from a concept that kind of actually doesn't work. I don't yeah. think anyone has a light bulb moment that's like this is a killer idea. I'm a billionaire. <laughs> that just never happens. Unfortunately. It starts from an idea and you get stomped on by about a thousand people and yeah. then you reiterate and you go, oh, okay, now this is a better idea. Yeah, I think it's definitely a blend of things. Um, it's And having a very, I guess, consulting background, we always knew that the if we wanted to embark on a venture, it has to be a process whereby, you know, we take learnings and through experience, we kind of iterate on whatever concept we're working on, whatever problem we're trying to solve. To and so, it, and that's going to be an ongoing thing, right? Even where we are now, we can see definitely see upfront maturing over time, providing more value to its customer base. Still, you know, obviously working in the same space and solving the same problem, but just iterating and evolving to to be more relevant to, to people. Um, so yeah, it was about so about eighteen months. Yeah, right, brilliant. Self was really like. The last six months. Yeah. Last the six platform months. itself is that. The platform. Months. But to get to that point, yep. I, most people expect like the start and stop finish of a, of a company. It doesn't really work like that. It's more of a how did you, what was the start, what was the start of the journey? And that was probably 18 months ago. Okay. okay. So it sounds like um, there's been plenty of learnings along the way. And um, I think it's quite common for people who want to go out and try and do something on their own. The, uh, how hard that can be and how resilient you have to be to push f through. And I, I think when you said about a 1,000 people jumping, pushing ideas down earlier on, um, I think that's probably an accurate number of um, you know, people that you've got to, to go through to, to really tease out the best, best idea. Um, <laughs> so six months ago, you decided to put a label on this idea. Can you tell mm -hmm. us about one of the... Is there any key learning that you had or a big... A big point before you got to this idea that completely changed direction, and therefore you knew this was a right time six months ago to now put a badge on this and and go with Upspot. Uh, I think from a so uh, since I'm a developer and when it comes to startups, a lot of developers want to just jump straight into building a product. Yeah, I think the 
key learning for everybody here is no matter if you're like a, a developer or you can build a product, the first thing you should do with any business or any startup is actually not focus on the product, but focus on the problem. Yeah. And I think we understood that concept before we were building things, but I don't think we understood it properly until until you really understand. Like there, there's like a point in time where we, you really understand that you actually don't need a product to test an idea. Yeah. And I think when we got to that point, I we dropped dropped dev tools and basically tried to find approaches to test and validate our concept using any method possible, whether it's like a you know Google Excel form or calling up people and just getting some sort of baseline validation around a concept and getting traction without having a product is yep. probably critical. Yeah. So yeah, we definitely spoke to a lot of people. We've been fortunate enough to be working in the you know enterprise space for quite a while now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's most definitely definitely, you know, reach out to people that you know work in the problem space speak to them as much as possible and then reach out to people that you don't know and do the same and I can't emphasize that enough that's pretty much what all of uh, uh, I do have uh, a lot of friends who are starting companies and some of them are quite successful and some of them are just that quite established now and the first thing they always say because we did reach out to them and say what do you recommend what's your advice to go out there and you know work on this problem we're trying to solve and the first answer is always talk to as many people as you can for as long as you can, get in the diaries, buy them coffees, just talk to them, right? And they will give the answers because you can't make up, there's no, whatever problem you're trying to solve, there's always a thousand ways to solve it. And the more you talk to people, the better, the more clarity you have around the best approach to solve. And that's that's the execution that you want. That's the, the answer to the execution question. Yeah, and I think there's just a natural fear with a lot of people, a lot of startup founders, especially for a developer. Especially if a developer, and most startups are like three, two to three developers, you know, in, in like a basement somewhere. Yeah. And that's probably just not, that's not the approach. And there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of accelerators out there that teach that you don't do that. You don't build a product first. You always go to the market, you talk to people, talk to the customer, and it potentially even try to sell a, a non-existent product um, to somebody first and then, and then decide to build a product. Okay, so what I'm hearing here, and, and it's, it can be an easy um, step to follow is when you're having the conversations with, with people to prove out what you what you think is a real problem is to not pitch your product idea but have a sincere conversation around whether this is a genuine problem that exists beyond in this instance just something that you used to have recognized yeah and it's, it's definitely a, a very unique approach to, to uh, having that conversation with people as well I think when we first started, and it's always you know a learning process. So for us, when we first started, we're like asking people, "Is this a problem?" Very close questions, and they'll say yes. So, do you think this is a good solution? Yes. I think the most important thing with uh, discovery phase, especially looking at the link canvas and the discovery phase, is really asking open questions. So, what do you think about this problem space? How would you tackle it? What are some of the characteristics you would see? that affects the market, what would you see to be beneficial to yourself or your network, and really those open questions, that discovery through open questions is what's critical in that phase. Okay, and with um, a marketplace concept um, that yeah. you've ended up with now, for me when I think about marketplaces, there's always two problems. There's there's the people who are setting up the stall in the marketplace, and then there's people that you mm -hmm. want to come into the marketplace to buy stuff from the stall. So were those two different types of groups of people you were having conversation with? Um, how, how did you find that balance of, or did, uh, that in this early discovery stage, did you not even know that you this could be a marketplace type product? I 
think we always knew that was going to be a marketplace. Okay. Um, the, the nature of uh, what we're trying to achieve, the problem we're trying to solve is connecting people. So the marketplace is the most obvious, um, I guess, facilitator or product model for that. Now, within the marketplace concept itself, there's several different types of marketplaces, and there's a spectrum of ways to approach it. You have your fully free, I guess, free-for-all marketplaces like eBay, uh, and to a certain degree, like, I guess, Freelancer. They, they do, you know, create to a degree and assess to a degree. But um, you have that one end is just completely free-for-all. And then the other end, you have a very curated marketplace um, such as Uber or Expert360. You know, they, they work on, on ensuring quality. So there's whatever, and I guess for people looking at you know, considering business models, it's really understanding different types or subcategories of the business model you're trying to tackle. Um, yeah, and understanding how they work and the, and the gotchas with that as well. But like when it comes to what you mentioned is like the chicken or egg problem, like which one comes first? Yeah. That's the, the most common question you'll get asked about marketplaces. There's probably a thousand books written on which one comes first. And I think the easiest answer is just to say they both come first. And uh, that's the problem. And that's what makes it hard. Yeah. And for us, it was, I guess, to start off, um, we pitched to one side of the marketplace first. Because if one market, one side of the marketplace doesn't like your value proposition, there's no point trying to pitch it pitch the other half and then once you've got one half on then the idea is to okay if the other half if that if that value proposition to them works then you might be onto something but then again it's, it becomes an iterative process around exactly what each side wants yeah. and then and then you know product is just way down the back of the you know yeah. process at this stage i think we were looking at really understanding because you can't really solve a problem for a single side of a marketplace. Like you, you have your buyers and sellers. The buyers need to buy and sellers need to sell. You need to provide value to both. And at this stage, we're really understanding with chicken egg, looking at which side is the most difficult to acquire for our particular type of marketplace, being vetted and being, uh, I guess, a closed marketplace being managed. Um, understanding how the transaction works and how to deliver value through that transaction as well, and not just to each side independently. Okay. Brilliant. It's definitely, um, uh, I think you're going to be able to write your own book on, on marketplaces and add it to the library of marketplace books out there because um, I, I can only imagine how difficult it, it must be. But um, it's really interesting, I think, people who are thinking about um, or even part of marketplace businesses and products will find it interesting to hear, hear your side of that story as well. Um, so we've, we've talked a little bit um, now about the the, the problem that you're trying to solve and it's a market marketplace problem um, of enterprises as, I, as I'm hearing finding contract workforce and contract workforce finding uh, enterprises to work for is that a clear summary or is would you adjust that yep uh, at, the, at the very basic level it's definitely connecting people to opportunities and connecting uh, organizations to uh, talent or better talent um, but also, you know, one one level below that is actually looking at, you know, what the current process is, which is you want to. Yeah. So I mean, like, I think the crux of it, when it comes to product, like, it, the, what we're trying to achieve here is changing uh, a kind of incumbent process within enterprise when it comes to uh, hiring contractors or even hiring permanent employees. And right now, that process is very entangled and involves a number of stakeholders, uh, whether that be recruitment agencies, agencies or internal. Uh, stakeholders and what we're trying to do is innovate on that business process with technology mm -hmm. so the technology itself 
we feel is uh, novel, very novel solution. But what it, what it enables companies to do is basically change their business process to um, optimize for, say, cost and efficiency. Yeah. And that's the underlying value we try to deliver. Yeah, it's never about the technology. It's always about the business and the process that it enables. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I think, I don't know where I read this or someone told me this, but uh, it, when it comes to technology, you need to separate the technology from your business right at the start. I think a lot of startup founders, especially the technical okay. ones, don't do that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. You separate and you, you build a business before you build the technology. The technology is what enables you to scale your business. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you can think like that, then you won't have, you won't be building a product for two years and try to release it. In your basement without, yeah, talking. without tell, talking to anybody, which has happened. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about scale then. Um, when it comes to the customers, um, how did how did you go about, or how did you find it going scaling from zero to customer number one? What was that experience like for you? Uh, very painful. Very painful, very painful because there, you want to, yeah go. yeah. There is no easy solution to that. Um, I think a lot of people have this mentality where you if you build something great, people will come. It's never going to be the case unless you open a restaurant somewhere where there's no restaurants. Um, so to actually acquire customers, you have to really do the hard yards and tap into your personal network. Once again, it's important, but cold calls, reach out to people, in inbound marketing. There's no easy solution. You can press a button to get a customer. It's really having to practice your pitch, understand the value you deliver, what's the best way to communicate that, and just reach out to people to see if that resonates with them. And if you have, you know, you've done your discovery right, you do have a value for people, they will come and listen to you, or at least give you their time. Mm. So, I mean, like, specifically for us, contractors was the easy side because we pitched without a product to contractors using kind of traditional social media channels and got a bunch of sign-ups through the platform mm -hmm. with basically no platform. Uh, and then we knew that we had the customer, like the supply side. And then for the businesses, we had to kind of really, really reach into our personal um networks to you know have the conversations with different businesses cold core businesses like lee mentioned and uh use any trick that we can to you know meet with the right people essentially yeah. and there's, there's no easy solution there's no like step process i can give anybody that that will lead them to you know getting their first business customer it's really a skill set that i just acquire over time it just comes with practice like anything else it gets better with activity Okay, I was going to ask, um, in terms of a guiding light for how you went about that, was there any mentorship? Do you use the startup community in Sydney for assistance? Where, where do you look for on that, I don't know, wet Wednesday afternoon when you seem like you're not getting anywhere but you, you need the motivation to pick up the phone and keep calling? Where, where, where do you turn to for that? For motivational mentorship or for both? A bit of both, yeah. Interested to know your answers on both, really. Uh, motivation is uh, our bank balance is, is drying up. That's one motivation. The mentorship is, I don't know, we're just kind of, we want to, we like to build things. So uh, well, when it comes to actual mentors, I mean, in we're- terms of sales or- you know, In terms of people, in terms of like who we look to, I mean, we, we know a lot of people in the startup community and I think we knew a lot before we started down yeah. this journey yeah. and we've just- you just naturally bump into a lot more people on the same journey as you. So it's more of a bouncing board for, for that. But in terms of like someone who's more successful, I mean, we've, 
again, it's, it's like networking. You, you end up networking with a lot of successful people in the process of building a startup. And we've had that opportunity to meet a, very, like a lot of very successful people, pitch our idea, get feedback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but in terms of like, we don't have a go-to mentor right we now. We don't have a go-to mentor right now. We do have several people that are you know, quite senior and experienced that we talk to on a regular basis. And I think that's definitely important, uh, especially in the early stages, not to just lock yourself to a single business mentor, so to speak, but more so have, uh, I guess, a brain tank or, or you know, a group of people yeah. that you can reach out to at any time because they all offer different perspectives. Yeah. And sometimes it's conflict, conflicting advice. directly conflicting advice. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's your job as, um, I guess, an entrepreneur, as much as I hate that word, and um, a business owner to make the correct judgment to say which path is the best path for me. You don't really, you know, yeah. So yeah. that's that's really the mentorship aspect. Yeah, I guess on top of that, last note is you need to find someone who can tell you you're doing something wrong. Yes, absolutely. Uh, normally a lot of people will just say you're doing great work, keep it up, uh, but that's probably the, the worst feedback you can it's ever the most receive. feedback. You need someone who can look at what you're doing, look at your strategy, and and basically call you out on it, or or make you answer for what you're trying to achieve, and then that can um, lead you to think a lot more clearer and and make you know better decisions. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And ha- ha- uh, do you turn to each other sometimes for these conversations and sort of almost interventions as and when you need them as a partnership? In terms to, to make a decision, making decisions, or maybe one of you come in on a Monday after a weekend of reflection, and you, you decide to bring up maybe we should rethink this part of the product or who we talk to later this week. Oh, that, yeah. that changes probably every ten minutes, right? Yeah. And we have a discussion every ten minutes. It's yeah, it's how you how you uh, I guess it's it just happens so often because there is no right path, right? Like coming from. I guess a corporate environment, for example, there's always someone telling you, if you hit these targets, you'll progress your career. Or if you achieve this, then you'll move up. So there's really a on-rail sort of path. But in terms of, I guess, building a business, every business is unique. There's no silver bullet, right? Every problem is unique. Every approach is unique and every solution is unique. You really, there's always an element of, am I doing the right thing? So if you're that type of person to second guess yourself, you're always kind of going, is this the best approach? Can I approach it better? And you always turn to the other person and say, is this the best approach? And sometimes they might say yes, sometimes they might say no, and you have a difference of opinion. And it's really working out how to um, achieve the best outcome out of that difference of opinion. How do you resolve that to arrive at? What's the process you follow to arrive at um, a destination that you both agree on and think is the best approach at that point in time? But you will change. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, it just, it's, it's just because it's a dynamic environment. Because if you're talking to... For, in, for instance, for us, if you're talking to businesses and you're talking to contractors, or specifically more on the business side, uh, I mean, you might you might land ten extra meetings that you didn't intend to land in a specific week. It's a bit unplanned, or someone doesn't call back, or a meeting gets pushed back. So timelines shift a lot within the process. So your um, your day to day strategy could change yeah. based on your time availability. Uh, so there's just too many things. Yeah, you're in a constant state of flux, and I think people that are very resilient, like this guy, he's more resilient than I am, and uh, people that deal with ambiguity and you know constant change and, and handle it very well, very, yeah. very, very 
very stable-minded people are the ones that handle this sort of situation the best. Not saying the other people won't, but they're the ones that are most built for this sort of environment. Okay, I mean, it sounds, it's just a completely different world to what most people are tackling on a 9 to 5 with schedules, yeah. meetings and strategies that were designed a year ago and um, right. quarterly releases and all of that stuff. It, it's, I used to love that stuff. I used to love it. Crazy. Like that, that, that routine gives you security and when, yeah. you, when you don't have that anymore, it's like... There goes a security blanket. <laughs> so I just want to bring the conversation back to, to, to the business and um, want to talk a little bit around the, the value proposition and the benefits that make you different and um, upspot worth buying. Could, could you t- talk through some of those for us? Sure. I'll start with just the main value proposition is that right there, right now, like I think I mentioned this earlier, there's no marketplace that exists right now in Australia for an enterprise organization, be it their hiring manager or partner, someone within the firm, to reach out directly to a contractor who's pre-vetted, pre-screened, uh, and then bring them onto the onto a project in, in due time. Right now, that process is entangled. You have to go through, as I mentioned, a number of stakeholders uh, to get a contractor on board. And most of the time, uh, the traditional way of finding someone is kind of hit and miss. It's more kind of spray and pray here. Ten regimes thrown at a person. They're all different. Uh, there's no kind of standardized approach to hiring a contractor in the market right now. And I think that's 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 definitely the main value proposition for, for businesses. Yeah. And there's nothing on the market that can do exactly this. Uh, there are similarities to different marketplaces that offer different talent or they offer a different approach to interviewing uh, I mean, when it comes to the HR market, like uh, industry and the HR kind of startup space, mm-hmm. it's there's about a billion different startups in the market yeah. doing kind of AI from AI to um, simple matching to job uh, video interviews with, with candidates. Yeah. So it, it's a very uh, saturated space. But what we're what we're trying to achieve, we haven't seen done before, and which is one of the reasons why we started Aspo in the first place. It's a, it's a big problem. It's a, I think it's quite uh, it's a problem that everyone. Recognizes that exists the recruitment mark the recruitment industry itself is very traditional very old-fashioned very manual um, And there's a big human obviously because there's a big human element to it, right? But because of the way it's involved over time like Ricky mentioned, I think right now <clears throat> with the current process and what's commonly accepted is that people who are the decision makers like your hiring managers partners are not in the forefront of hiring and now with digital technology being an enabler, I think it's about time that we provide that capability to the people that are making this, to people making the decision, and give them the capability to make the decision faster through technology. Connected technology is all about connecting people, right? So in this particular space, we can start connecting people directly, rather than have to rely on very traditional kind of manual recruiters yeah. and all that. And and then to jump onto the contractor side, because it's a marketplace, there has to be value for two sides. Uh, for the contractors. Right now, if you want to become a contractor, specifically in IT, for instance, if I was working in enterprise uh, a year ago, if I wanted to become, say, a Java developer or a JavaScript developer as a contractor, there are no tools out there, no platforms or ecosystems I can just join to work out how to become a contractor and start finding work or opportunities for myself. Yeah. And there's no way for me to manage that that, that kind of contracting career. Uh, so. For me, I would never do that because there was just no approach to doing that. Uh, and what we're trying to do for contractors is give them that capability, give people the capability to work for themselves, manage their career, find new opportunities ahead of time, 
and then give them the whole kind of ecosystem they require to function on their own. And that comes with a lot of benefits that the current contractors currently get. I think um, generally speaking, speaking there's there is a trend towards people wanting to kind of move to move to work for themselves and be independent manage their own careers rather than the whole kind of baby boomer mentality of let's stay with one company for 50 years right and make it to the top so people are more i guess especially millennials they're more free and they're more they want to be in charge of their life go where they want uh, do what they want and still manage their career as they see fit and progress in the way that they want to progress it's really about having that control um, and obviously, there's obvious benefits to contracting uh, because you know you get paid more, etc., etc., etc. You're more in control of the type of work you do. Um, but at the same time, with the way the current industry is in terms of contracting, and I've got a lot of friends that contract. Uh, I've worked going from contract to contract. I've worked with a lot of people that do contract and predominantly only want to contract because of its benefits. The common problem is being that you know when you're in a contract, you don't know if you can get renewed until the very last minute, because of the nature of the, how manual it is to secure your next contract and the way that business, I guess, react to extending people um, for contracts. Just the nature of the industry. So we saw opportunities there to actually help professionals not only manage a career but you know secure your next contract ahead of time. Don't wait for the business to make the decision a week before your contract expires. Mm. You know. Yeah. So long story short, it's hard to be a contractor and businesses, uh, it's hard for businesses to quickly find and hire a contractor. Mm-hmm. That's so better. Yeah. What, what, what I'm hearing is great about this as well that I've, I often see with some startups is, and the word used earlier, Lee, was it's a big problem. Um, can you talk a little bit about the size of the market um, when it comes to contracting in Australia? Um, because so often... People find really good problems to solve, but they're only a problem maybe for a few hundred people. Um, whereas contracting is obviously, I'm assuming, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of contractors Australia-wide. Um, so it's a, it, can you talk a little bit about market sizing and how that fitted into your decision for, for UpSpot as a business? Uh, I'll start with just like the just generally the, the general recruitment industry in Australia is over forty billion dollars, uh, and the global one is over four hundred something billion. I forget the number. Just over. 400. But when it comes to contracting specifically, there are banks that spend over a billion dollars uh, in contract fees every single year in Australia. Uh, that coupled with the fact that where there's a trend in the market that in the industry that companies are moving to an agile workforce. So by 2020 in the US, 50% of the workforce will be agile, whether that's a freelancer or just, you know, you're on your own. Uh, and that's it, uh, intending to, or that's expected to grow in the future as well. So um, the Australian trend is, is following the US trend. So we're also seeing that from working in enterprise ourselves. So we, yeah. when we left enterprise, we could see that shift in strategy within the firms that we were working at to a more agile workforce. Yeah. And that means less permanent headcount, uh, more contractors for project-specific roles. And the, right, and the reason they're doing that is because most of the project-specific roles are IT-based. And when it's IT, it's basically it's an 18-month project to deliver some sort of outcome that's very measurable, and you can hire ex-contractors to complete that. Yeah. So that's kind of the number of things where the, the market space that, you know, 
told us that this is a market worth going at, and this is a market market worth going at in Australia alone to start off with. I mean, there's a lot of companies that want to go global from day one, but that's a whole other discussion for us. Yeah, but definitely, I mean, we didn't get into this space purely for the monetary reasons. I think if you're actually pursuing a, a particular product just for monetary reasons, passion's not really there, and you know, you might not get the best outcome. So, and we're not completely altruistic as well, right? But it's it's problem space that we're really interested in because we've worked you know enterprise for so long. We saw a kind of a problem firsthand. We saw that it was a problem that really needed to be solved. And we can, based on our backgrounds of you know development and data, we can really see that we can make a difference in a unique way and potentially build something that's quite big. And that's why we went after this. Not big in terms of the market we're going to capture, but big in terms of the ability to change people's lives. I think. So t- talking a little bit more about success, um, on, a, on both a, the short-term and long-term basis, what are you guys at UpSpot looking at to measure success? What do your success metrics look like? Is it views? Is it sign-ups? Is it businesses signing on a dotted line? How are you measuring that at the moment? Right now, it's uh, at this current point in time, I think KPIs change over time, shift over time a little bit. Yeah. But for us right now, it's really, we're still early, you know, early stages, we're building advocates of the product. So we're in the kind of, uh, you know, product market fit, trying to do that product market fit right now. Okay. And that, that's really working closely without the businesses we work with to deliver an experience that does help them save time, save money, and really want to keep using the product. Yeah. So I think over time that will shift. So when we go beyond product market fit, you're looking at scaling, and then that's, that's, uh, that's a different, you have a different problem. I think yeah. that's something common you see as well is that your problems, you know, you might solve a problem now, but your problems just either increase or change in the future and they just continuously change. It's a pipeline of problems. So it's a, you have a pipeline of problems basically. Yeah. So it's a permanent, like, endless task task list. But Ricky touched on a good point uh, I wanted to make. Uh, I think I should highlight is that it's for us personally, it's definitely not just building a product. People these days don't buy products as much as they buy experiences. So whatever product you're building, it's all about the experience that you deliver to the people as a, as a, is, a, is a key factor. Yeah, so we you need to build products people love, which is pro- probably like a cliche term now, I'm not sure. Just heard it so many times myself. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. Very true. With that experience, yeah. that quite often, well, nearly in nearly all circumstances, the first experience you have is is an onboarding experience beyond browsing the website. Can you talk me through a little bit about the onboarding experience for Upspot? Okay, from uh, just two sides. Uh, mostly, we'll just talk from the contractor side because I mean, you need to keep people interested. Uh, there's a whole psychology around onboarding, around how to keep people interested in user experience, and that's probably like another hour conversation that we'll just you know put on pause for now. But uh, in terms of the way we've constructed uh, the contractor side, is we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to you know fill out their profiles. And I think people traditionally have you know they have a LinkedIn profile, they have like a Seek profile, and they you know. If I'm a user, you know, you just have to ask yourself if I was, you know, to go to a new site and they want to ask me to input all this data about myself, I really don't want to repeat myself from a different platform. So building mechanisms or features that really make it easy for a user to just go, bang, this is me. I might tweak a few things that are specific to UpSpot, which we have around skills. Uh, 
that's what drives you know engagement on our platform and we do measure that and we at, at the start we had a really you know we thought you always think you have a great user experience until you start monitoring how monitoring how people are using it mm-hmm. and then you realize people aren't putting in data or people aren't doing this that you think was a really simple step and then you just got to keep testing and reiterating yeah. So yeah. this, there's no. We like, definitely try to approach it with a different lens. Like uh, like Ricky mentioned, there are lots of different types of profiles you have out there. What we try to do, I mean, one thing we try to do with the overall marketplace in terms of enabling hiring managers to connect to talent on demand easily is the keyword easily. So our, our, our profile is really built around using data to drive better decision-making processes and using data to sh- showcase people's capabilities. So we've tried to put um, I guess a lens on that in terms of building that con- that professional side, the contractor side, and allowing people to, as they input data, as you, you know, as they invest in us, we give something back, so they can see their own skills matrix, um, they can see a different view of their proficiency and depth of skills. It's all calculated for them based on how they input their projects. So it's really kind of like working out something that's very engaging as as part of that process. Mm. And just maybe to add to that. Because of our backgrounds, we're both from a BI background as well as consultants. BI being business intelligence, which means like pretty graphs. Um, you know, very pretty graphs. The idea of a graph is to actually, you know, take a bunch of information that might be hard to consume written and then convert that into something that you can just at a glance, okay, great, I get it. Yeah. And we're trying to do that with people's people's skill sets. Uh, which is, you know, currently not done in the market as well. So we, we are very, you know, we're experimenting with a lot of cool features around BI and people's profiles. And you can do that in the tech space a lot easier than other spaces, say yeah. management consulting. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, okay, it's experimentation, UX. Uh, I've already forgotten the question that you started with now, <laughs> but I, I've gone on a rant, so maybe stop it. <laughs> no, all good. One of the things um, th- that you mentioned earlier uh, um, around testing the user experience and seeing how users uh, are using your product, um, can you talk a little bit about it? What, what, what's in your tool set, tool bag on a day-to-day basis? What are you you guys both looking at um, daily and this this sort of the first thing you do after you've checked the emails in the morning on the phone? Um, so in terms of uh, how we how we test and how we get feedback and what are the things we look out for, so we do, uh, we have our platform, we look at how people are being engaged in it, uh, people signing up, if they're signing up, how far do they get, um, and then potentially we can kind of investigate whether there's an issue there or we can, there's a particular feature we might look at implementing. But even before we get to making that decision, and we're quite, I guess, fortunate in this regard is that as that our business or our platform is being a better marketplace. We do speak to everyone that comes on the platform. We call everyone personally and we say, welcome to the platform. This is what we do. Um, you know, fill out your profile. We help you optimize it. Um, we help you present yourself in the best way possible to companies. And through that engagement, we can also say, do you have any issues? Do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? Is there anything that you'd like to see? So it's really been very close to to our, to our user base. It's pretty much call out every single person and ask them what 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 do they not like or like about the products. Yeah, uh, and that helps us really narrow down on. I mean, if you talk to someone and, and you ask them to put in a certain piece of information, and uh, that that seems clear for us that to put it in, and it's not clear for somebody else, that's kind of a red flag as to okay, have a chat. Why why was it not visible to you? And then that helps us, you know, with a kind of a, 
uh, a way to design new features or the little tweaks to the model to make it, you know, a better experience. Yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah, we monitor the data. We monitor a few other KPIs. Again, these change over time. Uh, for the yeah, for the businesses, we work very closely with them, so it's more of a dialogue. Yeah. Uh, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, other than that. It's yeah, just being very close to, to users. I think coming from a consulting background, we're, we're I guess drilled into having that customer centric view yeah. and customer centric approach to things. I think everyone should definitely have that. If you're in some sort of building a product or um, trying to sell something, having a customer centric view everything from building to selling is just key to really, you know, getting some traction and moving on, moving up. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, so I, I just want to finish up. Um, so we've talked about a lot about how to learn, uh, how to build a business from you firsthand, which is fantastic. So just to finish up with then, um, before we say, say goodbye, what, what is um, the riskiest assumption that you guys are, are tackling right now? Risky, riskiest assumption? Mm, That's a good question. It's probably about 20, but like uh, you have to... I guess one that I will point out is what, especially if you if you do a technology startup, there's always an element. Well, I hope there's always an element of innovation in what you're trying to do, right? So the the risk is always is the timing right, and is your customer base ready to ready to adopt the innovation you're trying to give them? Because it could be perfect in your mind, it yeah. could be relevant to a lot of people, but is it the type of innovation or the approach to innovate? or solve this problem in an innovative way, are people willing to adopt that and change the way yeah. they behave? And that's always the hardest. Like changing people's behaviors is always yeah. the hardest thing. Yeah, I think that's that's the, everyone's assumption, actually, that everyone will have in the future, every startup, actually, is the timing thing. Okay. And there's like a TED Talk on this around factors for successful startups. I don't know. I'll, I'll link it below. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, go for it. <laughs> But like this, some someone measured like the factors that make a successful startup, and the number, the biggest factor was timing. Yeah. And you can look at companies that, you know, going back to the recruitment space, uh, there was a company that was like, I think there was similar to Seek that came out maybe ten or you know years before Seek, but but Seek was dominant now. Yeah. But what is like what happened? And it's just timing. The market wasn't ready for that product ten years ago. Yeah. So the biggest risk for us is great. We had a cool idea. Yeah, we want but, to do a process change, we want to innovate on how the industry works, but is the industry ready to adopt yeah, that innovation? Yeah, and that's that's the biggest risk. And then, you know, you could see Upsport 2.0 in five years' time killing it, but it's not us behind it. <laughs> uh, hopefully <laughs> not. Hopefully All good. All right. Look, guys, um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to me and giving me an opportunity to do this for you know that for the product coalition it's a crowdsourced platform and publication it's just a group of product people trying to share knowledge and news and you've shared loads of knowledge um, um today and i really really appreciate that um so for, for those who want to know more um there'll be some links um to lee and ricky um down below on the video also on the product coalition uh, article on medium um, so you can get in touch with these guys. Check out upspot.io as well if you want to see a little bit more about the product. Um, thank you both so much. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch, and um, I certainly you know look forward to, to keeping an eye on on Upspot and 
what, what other war stories you have in the future as well? Maybe we can have another call um, as you learn a little bit more. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate it, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, thanks for having us. And everyone subscribe to Jay's channel if they're not already subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> you need a flash subscribe now. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Thanks, for thanks guys. Thank Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so there we have it. Our first um, interview for, for Product Coalition called Product People. Hopefully this will be a series of interviews. Um, bit of a test and learn for me for that one. Please give me some comments back and let me know what you thought about the interview, the structure, the quality, etc. So that I and other interviewers who look to, to do the same in the future um, can improve and hopefully we can make this uh, even better for you. But for all, for now, that's all. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.